Commencement, the beginning of a new era in higher education by Kate Colbert and Joe Salustio with contributions by Elvin Freitas is now available for pre-order on Amazon. Get your Kindle edition or your softbound book. It's going to be amazing. Lead Squared is a cutting edge CRM platform for enrollment management. With Lead Squared, you will deliver a seamless student experience, streamline admissions processes, lower costs, and increase retention. Schedule a demo at leadsquared.com. Welcome back, everybody. It's your time to add up on the Add Up Experience podcast, where we make education your business. This is Elvin Freitas, co-founder of the Add Up Experience podcast with you again. Joe Salusio could not make it, so I am filling in again. I am very excited because we have two absolutely amazing individuals on the podcast today. We have a former guest, former co-host on. We have Anne, a former guest, coming back for the second time, so it's awesome. I don't have sound effects, so maybe I'll do a little bit awesome and wow with my, with my voice. Um, but let me bring them in right now. So we have my co-host. He is the one, the only Dr. Thomas Bailey, and he's the president of Teachers College at Columbia University, my alma mater, by the way, if I haven't mentioned that two or three million times. <laughs> hey, Tom, how you doing? I'm great. Thanks for having me. It's wonderful to see you. Always proud to have our to, to be with our alumni on this on this channel. So, and of course, it's wonderful to be here with Michael Baston too. So look oh, forward I, to the conversation. Absolutely. So let's bring him in right away. His second time here on the EdUp Experience, Dr. Michael Bastian, President and CEO of Tri-C Community College. How you doing, Michael? I am spectacular. So good to be with you, Elvin, and my great friend, Tom Bailey. And I'm excited to have some time with you all today. Oh, well, we're excited to have you here. So let's get right into it. So the first question is, we want to know all about Tri-C Community College. Tell us all about what you do and how do you do it. <laughs> Well, it's a wonderful institution in the heart of Cleveland and the great state of Ohio, more than 40,000 students we serve, and we are really focused on improving lives through education and really specifically working in that career development space, that workforce innovation space, that space that says for those who need an opportunity, need a chance, need a break, that we are that institution that meets their needs needs in our community. So I'm excited about our 60 years uh, that we are wow. be celebrating next year. And over a million students have come through the doors of Tri-C in these 60 years. Wow, that's fantastic. Amazing. So I know we have a lot of questions from uh, Dr. Thomas Bailey. So let's get into it. Tom, go ahead. You're up. Okay. Well, Michael, so I mean, I, I can't say how much I admire you, Michael. I mean, you're you know, you're you're basically, you know, one of the most important thought leaders in community colleges. So it's a, yeah. <laughs> it's a privilege to be to be on this on this uh, podcast with you. So, but tell me something. I mean, you you know, you're a lawyer, you're a minister. Tell us a little bit about how you got into education. Well, I got into it in a very interesting way. I was representing educational corporations as an attorney. I was a college attorney. I represented Iona, now Iona University, uh, a number of 
Christian Brothers schools and other educational institutions. And I started to teach paralegal studies courses at some of the colleges that I had represented, schools I represented, and just loved that interplay between myself and the students. And so I got into college administration and, and lo and behold, uh, uh, after a wonderful experience at LaGuardia Community College, where I spent a number of years really kind of as one of the primary architects of, of that sort of student experience redesign uh, that I moved in, uh, to Rockland as president uh, before coming to Tri-C. And it's sort of been an extraordinary journey uh, from all of my experience. It's just been extraordinary. So, so, so you just said you'd moved from Rockland. So you, you were president for five years at Rockland, which yes. is a, I don't know if you call it suburban, it's kind of a suburban community college in a giant metropolitan area. But now you're moving to, uh, you know, Tri-C, which is a, you know, of course, it's a big metropolitan area, but it's an institution with a lot of weight in the community. I mean, I don't know, it, 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 it injects more than a billion dollars a year into the, into the community. So tell us a little bit about the contrast between those two types of institutions. Well, when you're in a suburban metro school like Rockland, you really are focused more on some of the town and gown issues. And you're primarily a transfer institution in that space, although I did a lot of work in building up their workforce development opportunities there. But coming into the Midwest, into the heartland, into new opportunities, and specifically in the new uh, sort of manufacturing that will take place in our country, the new technologies in our country, you know, we think about sort of this part of the country as really the silicon, uh, the, the heartland, sort of we, we are the, the place where the chips will be made for uh, Intel, and we are the place where Ford is opening up uh, new opportunities in the electronic uh, uh, car space. So we are finding ourselves uh, in that space of innovation in the country. Uh, and so that requires an institution like mine to really reset and recast America's image of manufacturing. It's not sort of going into these big uh, sort of manufacturing plants with a whole lot of dirt and you work uh, these long 12 hour shifts and you worry about sort of the plant closing and your life falling apart. Today, manufacturing is much more highly tech, much more electronic in nature, much more artificial intelligence. You're working alongside the automated structures. So it is much more of an intellectual experience and not just simply the, the so even if you look at the work we're doing in auto tech, it's not simply sort of being greasy under a car. It's yeah. making sure that the chip identifies the issue that then has to be resolved. <laughs> so we're in a much different part of our sort of work world. And that means education and how we educate students is very different as well. So, so I've got to say, I'll tell you, Michael, you may not know this, but you know, when I think of, sometimes I run into a problem and I think, what would Michael do about this problem? <laughs> so, you know, one of the reasons, I mean, that was one of the reasons that we that we actually asked you to be on our board of trustees. And so Michael, Michael, for the last year or so, has been a wonderful member of our board of trustees. And you can imagine the elevation of the energy level when Michael has joined the board. So, <laughs> oh, so I, I've got to say this though, you know, what I see, one of the things that you've done is you've been there for a hundred days, you've gone on a listening tour. So tell us some of the things that you've learned on that and what you'll do about that. 
I mean, I've, I have enjoyed the listening tour. We went to, we spoke to over 2,000. I met 2,000 wow. folks. Uh, we had about 15 uh sessions with students, faculty, staff, alumni, uh, business and industry leaders. We transcribed those meetings wow. and we are making themes based on those uh, meetings so that we could specifically address what, what I call the now normal. Uh, some people think that we're now in the new normal, but I, I would say the now normal because we have to be more agile, more flexible uh, as institutions to help solve the real problems of real people today. So my, my sort of summary of that listening session is three <laughs> things that we want to do. Number one, we want to build a culture of clarity. In many community colleges around the country, we are trying to be everything for everybody. And so we don't always do everything well when we have so many different flowers blooming. You know, we sort of take the botanical garden approach where it's like, oh, look at that flower. Oh, look at that flower. Oh, it smells so wonderful. So if you have a botanical garden approach, you know, the great thing about a botanical garden is all of the different array of flowers, but the bad thing about a botanical garden is all the array of flowers. <laughs> and so, so we really want to be a flower shop. We really want to have things nice and neat and organized. Whole, the whole Guided Path in Ways movement, in my view, was this conversation about clarity. So I think we as educational institutions must continue to build cultures of clarity. The second is we have to redesign the student experience in a post-pandemic redesign. Uh, there are different expectations of students now that exist as a result of the pandemic that were happening a little before the pandemic, but have been accelerated. You know, sort of this idea that you do want maybe shorter term credentials, that you do want accelerated courses, that you do want relevant uh, math and English to the programs of study that you want to be a part of, that you do want to have a sense of belonging because that is a critical component to success. You do want access to equitable opportunities in a way that we're not, as, as Tom used to call it, sanctioned wandering. You know, And so that, that is something that is even more pronounced in today's students. So redesigning a student experience, knowing that you have to provide 24-hour support for students, whether it's mental health support, whether it's finding out about classes, all of that, that, that virtual 24-hour support is now an expectation and not just a nice to have. And then the last thing is the strengthening of the value proposition, because as you know, Chronicle Higher Education had the stats not long ago that talked about the fact that so many of Americans now have less confidence in the ability of college to meet the needs of the students. And so you're seeing now with the enrollment fluctuations and, and the challenges to sort of the value proposition of higher education in general, that we have to be very, very clear about what our value proposition is now and how we can continue to grow with our students. So those three things really surfaced largely for me in my listening tours. So, so you know, I, I'm, I mean, I was... Uh before I became president four years ago, I was the director of the Community College Research Center here at Teachers College. So, and, and worked on the Guided Pathways model. And I, I must say, when I first came to the presidency of a graduate school of education, I thought, well, you know, what I learned with community colleges might not actually apply that much, but that's not true because I've got to say the questions about clarity, redesign of the student experience, value propositions, 
I may use those three in what we're doing. So, so uh, you know, I think that's a, uh, you know, I think those are, those are wonderful things to say. So, of course, you know, I have to ask you a bit more about Guided Pathways since, sure. you know, I worked on that. So tell me a bit more about, about what you're doing with Guided Pathways at, at Tri-C. Well, here we have gone through a really robust process of redesigning our program maps and, re, you know, talking a little bit more about the specific paths that you can go in in terms of career development. I think the next phase of our work here, quite frankly, is to make sure that every student has an educational plan, that every student has a finance plan, and every student has a career development plan from the beginning. Yes. that we begin in the process of connecting students to the institution. When you get an acceptance letter that says, congratulations, you're accepted to try C, embedded in that should be a link to a career assessment so that you can start to think about what direction or what trajectory you want to go into right away. You know, when you have students that are completely undecided, how do you organize an entrepreneurial track for them so that they can start to engage in entrepreneurial thinking that may ultimately help them better find a path that they could move toward as they move forward? So these are sort of, uh, I think, big issues and big ideas uh, that help to evolve the Guided Pathways work, a very, very clear focus on making sure that the students really have better information, just-in-time information, but here are the added benefits of some of the challenges of the mm -hmm. pandemic. Now, you can embed 24-hour a day, seven-day-a-week tutoring and counseling and all those things that we didn't do when we were designing Guided Pathways on the front end. We were always hoping for scale in Guided Pathways pre-pandemic, but what the pandemic required us to do is operationalize scale by partnering with external companies when you didn't have internal capacity so that you could meet those health-related issues that were not necessarily a part of Guided Pathways. We didn't talk about embedding check-ins for milestones on the emotional social supports that would actually help students move through. That is a, a sort of, we talked in general terms yeah. about sort of beyond financial aid, but we now know that as part of a real sort of a guided student support program, that you have to have milestones where you check in on these things. Mm -hmm. You have to actually be able to assess and actually deploy resources in a much more effective way. And there is an expectation of today's students that they're not going to get just in case information. You know, you go to orientation and then you get all of this information and in just in case so that if something happens along the way, you might be able to go back to that thousand page or thousand <laughs> link yeah. orientation. Yeah. You know, you go, when you're in, when you go to a, your HR office, you come to a new business, you're going to go in HR, they give you all of your HR yeah. forms and they expect you, like, if anything happens, well, we gave it to you on the first day. We <laughs> do that in our head. And so how do we ensure that we've developed appropriate milestones embedded in academic programs so that they're inescapable? You know, I think all of, oftentimes we say, oh, well, you know, we've got all these services. You got the library. They should just go to the library. You, you got a counseling center. They should just go to the counseling center. If you don't embed the support, understanding the support, how to access the support, and check in to see that if the help is actually helping, you could be making expenditures of resources that actually don't help your students. 
So I think that is the next leg of the Guided Pathways journey, that holistic development through milestones that allow us to look at their life circumstances, that allow us to think about their employability or how they're thinking about employment, that allow us to understand if they have the aid that they will need to finish, and then look at where we are with the degree. We used to flip that model where we focused on the degree so much but we didn't realize that the life circumstances were going to have a bigger impact on the degree than whether they picked the right courses. The Lead Squared integrated CRM functionality will put your institution at the front end of marketing and enrollment strategy by delivering a streamlined admissions process. Capture student interest, segment your audience, create student engagement workflows, and even integrate with your student information system to create longitudinal key performance metrics you've always wanted. You can do all of this and lower your technology costs. Check out leadsquared.com for more info. This is really another example of, of, of lessons from community colleges that we can use here at Teachers College. So... <laughs> Certainly the, I mean, I can remember in community colleges when we'd go and they would have the career services like in a trailer at the, at the edge of the campus and somebody would go there like the last week of school. So of course that needs to be at the beginning and at the heart of the campus. And we've done that too. I mean, students are with career services in you know new student orientation. That's one of the first, as you say, and one of the first things. And I think the other thing is we're doing the question about milestones and the question about people's financial situation as they move through. And of course, you know, we're here, we're expensive and lots of people have loans. And so, you know, we need to keep track of where they are, that they're not getting, you know, out of control. So those are things we are working on at this, at this very moment. So, uh, you know, once again, we're, you know, we're learning from, you know, from, from Michael and from the community college experience. Now, I've got to ask you about one of my favorite things, or especially names that you have, which is Steps Beyond Statements. Yes. I mean, yes. I don't know. Did, did you come up with that? <laughs> I sure did. You did. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, I've got some slogans I, I need developed. I'm going to come to you, Michael, to do that. But why don't you tell us about that? Because that's a great uh, phrase. Well, you know, what we found, particularly at the killing of George Floyd, a lot of corporations made phenomenal statements. They actually did impressive videos that would make you cry. Yeah. I mean, they really did talk a lot about, you know, a lot of statements about goodwill. But then there were no specific steps of how you were going to actually address those statements. Mm -hmm. And so they thought that the commercial or the little scholarship or the you know, we stand against racism in their little, you know, statements from boards, that those statements would be enough. What we said at Rockland and even here at uh, Tri-C is that you have to have specific steps and you have to identify those areas that you're going to make affirmative ex specific things to change the trajectory. Now, for me as a college president, I used the loss momentum framework for equity steps. Specifically, there are four elements in the student journey, connection, entry, progress, completion. So at your connection phase, if we wanna ask the question of equity, where are we advertising? Who's in the advertisements? What are we advertising or bringing students into? 
Because if we're not thinking on the front end of how to address the inequities there, then you never get to the next step because you don't have a pool of diverse candidates, yeah. either in your employee pool or your student pool. If we're not looking at the entry as sort of what that first year experience looks like for different people, for different populations, based on outcomes, and then specifically taking steps to address those issues, you're always going to talk about diversity or equality, but you're never going to address equity, which requires you to put resources behind remediating the systems that have created these inequities. If you're not thinking about monitoring progress and looking at them from multiple perspectives so that you can make sure that you're getting the interventions when the interventions are necessary. And if you're not looking to ensure that people who are going through these programs have similar outcomes in the completion phase, then you're not doing your part to address what I would call the inclusive excellence conundrum. If we want to have inclusively excellent institutions, then we've got to look at the critical junctures and the connected systems that produce those disconnected and disproportionate and disparate outcomes. And so that's when I talked about steps beyond statements. And I said, it's not just a matter of doing steps beyond statements for students. We also have to do it in our employees. How are we recruiting them in the candidacy phase? And how are we creating professional development opportunities and, and tenure, rank, and promotion so that we could get people to those opportunities You know, as we get to the professional development stage? And how are we making a first-year experience for diverse candidates, as an example, an opportunity for us to have them be successful and develop their professional development plan when they first come to your institution so that you can see them as part of the culture of making your organization strong and more inclusive and excellent in inclusion. So, so that's where I came from with Steps Beyond Statements, very specific milestones connected to very specific systems that produce the current outcomes. So, so one of the, of course, you've mentioned this a bit already, but, you know, we're in a, I hesitate to say post-COVID era or a Posting COVID era, I'm not sure where we are, but nevertheless, uh, you know, it, it was a it was a big challenge for community college. It's a challenge for all of us, uh, especially when you think about the equity issues. It had very diverse effects on different populations. So, uh, and and I and I, I know that it has led to enrollment declines in uh, community college in general. So, you know, tell us a bit about you know, how you're seeing the effects of COVID and, and what you're doing to, you know, not only to dig out of it, but also I think you've alluded to this, how you can take advantage of some of the uh, lessons and experiences that, uh, that we did have during COVID. Well, let's start with just thinking about the right out of high school population. We must remember that they too have had two years, two and a half years of disconnected learning. And that learning loss has created those who have social, emotional sort of deficiencies or those who are having uh, academic problems before, those problems just got worse. Yeah. You know, if they were folks that had sort of economic fragility, they got worse. So you're dealing with a student population that are going to come through the pipeline into the community college and other and all, all colleges, quite frankly. And we can't expect 
that the PowerPoints that we used in 2019 with the student body that we think should do the same thing now is going to be an effective strategy. So how do we invest in the teaching and learning experience so that we can make sure that our current faculty don't water down the curriculum, but mm. take into account the learning loss and the need to actually have a different set of expectations from students who now have been in a hyper virtual modality in learning. So you're not going to be able to just throw up those PowerPoints. They're going to want more interactive experiences. They're going to have expectations of much more on-demand supports. And so that is why we do the 24-hour day, seven-day tutoring now as a result of the pandemic. That's why we have 24-hour, seven-day-a-week mental health services virtually and medical services and those kinds of things now because of the pandemic. So you have to think about the pedagogical realities, the non-academic realities. You have to understand that, for example, certain populations, you see, well, where are all the young Black men? They're not in college. Well, they may not necessarily be in credit-bearing programs, but we are seeing an increase in shorter-term certificates for some of these populations. So we, we can't just presume that people are completely disconnected from hope and opportunity. What we've got to understand is where, what are the ways in which we can better assist those folks whose lives have changed, whose expectations have changed. You know, we are doubling down on some of our shorter term semesters, the eight week uh, courses that are being offered so that you can kind of chunk the educational experience so that you can still have better outcomes. And we've seen certainly Odessa and other places where this has worked and many institutions now are thinking about this. It's really having a different understanding of the needs and interests of students. You know, we have a lot of students, they, they don't want to work for someone. They want to work for themselves. So how do we take that reality and turn it into an opportunity. So we should see many more courses in entrepreneurship. We yeah. should see many more courses in sort of the basic business opportunities. We should see credit for prior learning and how we do as better assessments of competency-based education. We should see the expectation that some people have some college, no degree, 24 million Americans or more. How are we going after that adult population to say, well, you did. You might have dropped out of college, but you didn't drop out of life. How do we take your experience? How do we uh, give some credit for your experience? How do we take that credit and now create a new path educationally for you to shorten your time to degree completion and to move you forward? So all of these things, I think, are a direct result of paying attention to the burdens and the blessings, the hidden blessings uh, of institutions for the from the pandemic. So, so we'll say a little bit more about the, I mean, there's a lot of discussion about short-term credentials, although I've got to say, there's been a lot of discussion about that for a long time. Mm -hmm. It sort of returns to the top of the agenda. So there's certainly discussions about that. It's, and it's, it's, a, uh, it's, it's, a, it's an unusual because it's a bipartisan uh, 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 issue as well. So, but you know, the, the, at least I'm an economist, and so the, the economic research really shows the value of a degree. Oh, yes. And, oh, yes. And the, and oh, the yes. short term credential certificates, I mean, it's shorter, so, but, but I mean, there's less strong evidence about the value of those. So, but say something about how you're thinking about, you know, short term versus, you know, degree issues. 
Well, it's interesting. I think that the 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 research pre-pandemic research would definitely indicate that the you know certainly and it's still the case that the degree <laughs> is the gold standard. I think the difference with this consumer base is that they've had brothers and sisters who went off to college, got these credentials, lots of debt, and come home and drive Uber Eats and DoorDash and live back in the bedroom that you share with your brother or sister with the older ones that went off to college. So in the consumer populace, there's a different attitude toward these shorter credentials now than there ever was because of that. Here's the opportunity for community colleges, one that I intend to fully move into. Community colleges are ready to be graduate schools. Now, what do you mean? You're through institutions. Four-year institution, you come in, you go through to the four-year, you're through. No, we have to become the lifelong professional development partners for those students. When I was teaching paralegal studies, I had lots of folks in my class that had bachelor's degrees, but they had bachelor's degrees specifically in programs that they couldn't get a job in. So they come back, get my paralegal certificate, and now they can hang out their shingle, they can do per diem work, and they can make a living. The folks that are, they go to great educational institutions, come back, now you come back for my, my um, you, you come to get a real estate license from me. Uh, you're coming to get your CPA training from me. You come, so, so we see in the post-baccalaureate space a very, very important space for community colleges because everyone's not going to go in to get a master's degree. And every educational institution that are four-year granting institutions, they don't necessarily want to teach the things that we are most specifically and appropriate to teach. But we as a sector have never talked about ourselves as a, a, a post-baccalaureate or a graduate school. We've always talked about ourselves as, oh, come get your gen eds and we'll be here for you to transfer to your, I'm not knocking transfer, <laughs> but there's a way for us to be with you forever. It's no, it's, it's well, actually I, in research we did in Wisconsin a while ago, the Wisconsin Technical College System did call themselves the graduate school of the University of Wisconsin for, for exactly those reasons. And then, you know, also in nursing programs, like the, the nursing programs in community colleges would also would sometimes get graduate, you know, BA nurses who would come back because they would get more practical experience in that. So, yes, I think that's a, you know, that's that's certainly a, a, a something that that's a that's a potential. And I think probably has grown uh, a lot more re recently than than we've had before. Um, so what about now? This is a personal question here. Sure. I understand that you did a secret shopper experience. <laughs> now, you know, I'm a New Yorker too. And so I could understand the issues about, you know, moving from New York to Ohio. So, so tell us about your secret shopper experience. Oh, we loved it. My wife and I, well, see, I was pretty much a go for Cleveland. I thought it was great. I had to make sure my wife was comfortable and oh, ready yeah. to go. I needed her thumbs up. So I said, honey, what we'll do is, we will go out there for three days. We will dress up as parents. So we had sweatsuits on, jeans one day, whatever. And we like, we're, you're going to be mom, I'm going to be dad. And we're going to tell these folks that we're going to bring our daughter to school in the fall. She wants to stay with her aunt who lives out here. So we want to investigate the school. And, and so we posed as parents. We went to all four campuses. We went to their admissions offices. We asked them if we could roam around their classrooms. We asked that we talk to students. We talked to faculty. We talked to staff. 
we went to the local restaurants in the community and right. asked them, oh, do you know about this school? What do you Very think? Nice. What do you have you heard? We're thinking about letting our daughter come here and, and so on and so forth. And everywhere we went, someone had a Tri-C story of an aunt, a cousin, or themselves who had went there, who got a great experience, loved the facilities, loved the, and that I, we were so overwhelmed. The last day of the trip, we were heading back to the airport, so we stopped off at a local Perkins restaurant, and we don't have too many in New York, but Perkins is a great little restaurant to eat uh, breakfast food. And at the end of our food, we were kind of like, wow, should we come? Should we come? We were having great conversations. And the, the waitress came up to us and said, may I pray for you? Now, in New York, if a waitress came up to you <laughs> and say, can you pray? You're worried that they're going to get fired. They're clearly going to get fired. They're not going to have a job. You can't just be going around praying for people. Yeah. But here was very, she was, so we let her pray for us. But that, that moved our hearts. Yeah. Because in this community, this sort of Midwestern value of kindness and, and, and really generous generosity of spirit, you know, we felt very comfortable. And my wife and I were sold. Right, so, Tom, so, is your last question, Tom? <laughs> yeah. Go ahead, Alvin. You're, you're... I hate to do it to you. No, no, go ahead, Tom. One last question, then we'll wrap up. Go for it. Okay, well, I was, go I was going to say that I know in Ohio, there's a lot of high school students in community colleges. Yes. And as a matter of fact, I mean, I, I don't know what the truth is now, but as enrollments declined, a lot of the, you know, a growing percentage of community college students were actually high school students. So, so I'm, I mean, I'm not sure what the Tri-C situation is, but, but do you have a, you know, tell us a little bit about that trend and the, its strengths and weaknesses. Well, we certainly do see so many more of the high schools now. Their numbers are part of the community college numbers. Here's wonderful for those who ultimately have the social, emotional capacity to then move into a four-year institution, you know, at a very young age with their associate degree and manage that, navigate that system. What I do worry about is that, that there is a loss not having to, the opportunity to really have that formal social emotional development when you kind of bypass the experience because you got much of your college credits while you were in high school. And to see what happens to a lot of those young people and that they don't make it past the second year in those four-year institutions because they really did need some of the social, emotional student development that happens in the community college space. So that's one of the things that I worry about in terms of the development of students, not just the intellectual development of students, because I think we do a great job with working with the high schools to actually give those students real college experiences while they're in high school. But I do worry about, you know, here we get, oh, well, it's less expensive and there is acceleration. But what is the price we pay for the social and emotional development of our young people when they are not having the opportunity to develop along yeah. a more natural that's, way? That's certainly, certainly a, 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 an important point. Anyway, Elvin, it's all yours. Awesome. This is amazing, <laughs> fantastic conversation. Thank you both, gentlemen. I know, Michael, I do have one. I'm going to ask you two but I'm going to try to sneak in one. Sure. <laughs> I'm just so curious by hearing you talk in that first episode and looking at your social media and it's been amazing. You serving lunches and dinners and it's, it's been yes, fantastic yes. to see all that. 
I want to know how do you add up? In, in essence, how do you educate yourself to become a lifelong learner? And now try to be as specific as possible. Say, you know what? I take time at nine o'clock in the morning. I, I go to this website. I read this blog. I, I listen to this podcast. Hopefully it's add up. But, you know, like, how do you, how do, you do that? What is your process? Well, I think first and foremost, you do have to stay current with all of the different things that are going on. Ed Up, of course, is a great example. You, you, you know, I do look at LinkedIn on a regular yeah. basis, and yeah. I do, you know, follow the the critical conversations with Strata and 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 sort of the work that we're doing with Aspen, and certainly the work we do with uh, TC. The work, you know, so you do have to stay very, very connected inside higher ed, and you know for me, Community College Daily, but whatever your specific yeah. periodical choice, you have to stay current, but you can't leave it there. So you got to talk to students. Uh, you got to talk to faculty. You right. got to talk to staff. Yeah. Most semesters, I wouldn't, I'm not able to do it this semester because it's my first one. Most semesters I teach because when mm. I teach, that's my focus group. I can check every system. I can check every, every way in which the faculty have to moderate their approach mm -hmm. when they work with students. So if you're not going to critically engage with the, your multiple stakeholders, you're never going to be able to stay up on all the things that are happening. Got it. Okay. That's really good to know. I appreciate that. That makes a lot of sense now because uh, you're just so full of amazing insights. So you're on the ground, but you're also reading and listening and watching, paying attention to different types of platforms. And so it makes sense now that you come up with these amazing phrases. <laughs> the now normal, one of my favorites. I like that one. <laughs> All right. So covered a lot. Uh, did we miss anything? I, I, it's hard to believe we missed something. But did we miss anything about Tri-City in particular that you want to cover? Is anything coming up? And second question, we asked you this last time, but now maybe your views have changed because it's been a while. What do you see as the future of higher education? Mm. Well, I want to continue to tell you that Tri-C is an excellent institution. And anybody in Cleveland, come on, come on. If you're ever coming through Cleveland, we're not flyover, we're flying. So you come on in and you check us out, Cleveland, Rock Hall of Fame, just all good stuff here. So come and check us out. Um, but but what is the future of higher education? Change. Yeah. And that is one of the greatest challenges to so many within our structures. We need structure and system and strategy refreshes in this post-pandemic environment. And that means higher education is going to have to start sacrificing some sacred cows. Because mm. at the end of the day, if we don't do it, the actual enrollment patterns will. We don't want to have things happen to us. We yeah. want to have, have things happen through us. I love that. That's fantastic. Wow, what a note to finish this fantastic episode on. First, I want to say thank you to my amazing co-host, as usual, Dr. Thomas Bailey, president woo, woo, woo. of the Columbia University. Thank you, Tom, again. Always nice to have you on. Great to be here. Um, I'm, you know, I've taken notes, Michael, for what I'm going to try to do or what I'm going to learn from, from your experience. So it's great. And Michael, it's just always great to be. I, I love spending time with you anytime. So I'm, and fortunately, since we'll be seeing each other, I'll get to do that often. Thank you so much. My good friend, Tom Bailey, just an icon and a friend, and I'm so grateful. Yeah. And Elvin, thank you for being with, I'm happy to be with you, my friend. We're so excited to be with you today. Yeah, thank you. So I just want to outro you, Dr. Michael Bastian, President and CEO of Tri-C Community College. Thank you so much for being here. How has been 
uh, your second time on the Edible Experience. Fantastic. Ed <laughs> up, Ed up, Ed up. <laughs> we love it. There you go. Ladies and gentlemen, you just Ed up. Lead Squared isn't only an enrollment CRM. It's a technology that will allow you to optimize your entire front-end student lifecycle by providing decision makers with real-time customizable dashboards. Forecasting, measuring, and optimizing for key activities will increase retention and revenue, and Lead Squared will lower technology costs simultaneously. Not only can Lead Squared align with existing admissions processes, but the technology will also help you innovate beyond what you thought was possible. The ability to access data on your phone will keep you connected. And when you add in the world-class customer service, Lead Squared transcends being a technology. It's an experience. Check them out at leadsquared.com.